0: There were Cretans there, and they heard the gospel, the very first message by Peter. No doubt, some of them got saved, and maybe at that time, they went home to the island of Crete and shared the the gospel of Jesus. Ultimately, uh, uh, several churches on that island were, were started, and of course, things were still seriously not in order, and Titus, if you would, went there to help uh, as an extension of the apostle Paul to put these churches in order, Paul at the times in prison, but again it, we, you know it 's like we talked about uh, Sunday night, you know, and just the sovereign mind of God <laughs> you know it, it is it 's sort of bewildering when we really are amazed how he knows every hair upon our head and every sparrow that falls from the sky and and here, no doubt it was. God's divine purpose, if you would, to have to help Titus through a very difficult pastoring of a church. Why? To give us the book of Titus and uh, and what a great access uh, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus now are. But as we come to chapter 3, the eye is now not upon putting things order in the church, but how we are to relate to those outside the church, how do we, we live in a society, and in this case, a very corrupt society of the local government of Crete, but then even a greater, more ungodly society, that of Rome, that had all kinds of hideous, pagan, immoral practices, uh, including, we talked about a few weeks, slavery, and, uh, and many other brutal things to those who were not Roman citizens, and so we, we understand and we appreciate, if you would, uh, as Paul writes this chapter, uh, the government at the time, and, 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 and you, know, you take some pretty brutal governments today, and you say, wow, would that still apply to that government in that country? I mean, I can see it applying to more of a tame government uh, like America or Canada or England, but then you take some of these absurd governments, would it apply there? And again, and part of the divine providence of God, he's speaking to one of the most uh, violent uh, and one of the most out-of-control governments probably of history, that of the Roman Empire. And so, yeah, it would apply. And so in Titus chapter three, verse one, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. We've looked at this lately quite a bit in a number of passages, but this concept to remind. And I'm not going to go into all the verses on this, but I'll look at a couple of them. Again, this is in the present tense. So this would be remind and continue on reminding. And of course, in this government, you can lose your cool pretty quick, you know. I'm trying to deal with the authorities on Crete and they're corrupt, they want bribes. And and man, you could lose your cool pretty quick. Uh, especially when it comes to tax season, and and it's absurd, or trying to, you know, build a building, or, or trying to deal with some seriously ungodly men, and uh, again to remind them in every situation, yeah, at the building department, yeah, you know, when you're paying your taxes, yeah, when you know the you're dealing with a corrupt police officer who's half drunk, and yeah, you know, it would be rather difficult situations, but. Remind them, and of course, it sounds like Titus had heard this message by Paul a lot. If if you've been around a group for a time, it, it, it does get rather humorous. I, I was sitting at the last pastors' conference with, with uh, well, I'll leave him unnamed, but uh, a guy who's been in the Calvary movement longer than I have, and I've been in it for twenty five plus, actually more than that years, and and uh, and he had sat under Chuck a long time, and. And uh, Chuck begins to speak. I mean, Chuck maybe had a a sentence out of his mouth. And the guy reached over on my book and he wrote down an outline. And I started following the outline and he had Chuck's outline pinned out, (laughs) point by point by point. And uh, of course, I I, I thought it was hilarious. But in essence, Chuck was successful. Chuck, has there's certain points that we have been reminded and re reminded so well that we can sit down and before he even has a sermon, you know, much more than a sentence out, we can outline it. And this is not a bad thing. <laughs> this is a good thing because as you grow, the message grows with you. And uh, many of the things I, I can tell you I've heard Chuck speak 20 years ago, I hear it again, and it's just, it means so much more and in a different way. And, and so, again, if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. And there's a point where if, if, if you would, oh, here we are in the book of Titus. It just seems like we were in the book of Titus a year ago. You know, if that's the case, it's, it's speaking of you. Because you should be a different person than you were. You know, obviously it wasn't a year ago, probably five years ago, but it, you should be a person that's, that's deeper and a different place in your pilgrimage as a Christian. And as we go through it again, um, you know expounding what's there not coming up with some new truth it, it should speak to you in a different way right so titus this is a message you know well but i'm just going to sort of give you the shorthand and let you elaborate on it remind them and paul says in philippians chapter three verse one finally my brethren rejoice in the lord for me to write the same things, in other words, he's saying the whole book I just wrote to you ahead of time, you've already heard me say this many times, to me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So Paul is saying, uh, you know, I've told you this, I've even written to you parts of this, but now to rewrite it to you, it's my job, it's my life, it's what I am, it's what I do. And, and for you to hear it, it's important, it's safe. Peter writes it even in more profundity, if that's a word, in Second and Peter chapter 1. For this reason, he says, Second Peter one twelve. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. So he's saying here, I'd be negligent if I left this out. If I said to myself, well, you already know this. You've already heard this. I, I don't want to bore them with the same material, so to speak. I'd be negligent, though you know and are established in the present truth. You know it, and you're grounded in it. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up, how? By some new truth? By some new story? No, by reminding you knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So I, I don't at the same time want to give an excuse to all the Bible study teachers saying, hey, if I'm boring, that's your problem. No, that, that's really not the case either. I, Charles Spurgeon said the greatest sin a pastor will ever commit is boring people with a sermon and of course if we're boring people with god's word you know that's 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 a serious crime it really is so you know just to let you know even though i I, i've taught titus many times in the church setting bible college setting um i labor i labor i i just study it and take my notes and read new commentaries and and, and listen sometimes to other pastors and just, I, I labor over it. And the time I come to give a message, it's like I'm giving birth to a baby. I'm dying a thousand deaths. And, and at the end of it, I, I'm just beyond exhaustion. And, you know, I think as long as I'm at that place, you know, another, another uh, thing that Charles Spurgeon said, that beware of the pastor who makes an easy time of it being in the ministry. God help the pastor who's making an easy time of it to be in the ministry. There, There is a degree where God cursed Adam and said, uh, by the sweat of your brow, <laughs> you're going to bring the produce of the ground. In the same way, um, there has to be a labor. And of course, laboring in the word, laboring in love, there is to be a labor in things that you'd say, well, it should just come automatically because our heart's burning with fervor for God or burning in love towards one another. No, there, there, no matter how much zeal or emotion there is, there's always a labor involved. And so here he's saying, I, I'm, I'm reminding you I'd be negligent if I didn't. I need to stir you up by reminding you. And how many times have you guys ever come across a passage and it's like, I haven't thought that verse in years. And it used to be a verse, (laughs) you have that, Phil, yeah? It used to be a verse I used to think of every day. I mean, for years, it seems like every time I taught, somehow that verse came up. And I I haven't really meditated on that truth for years. How did I, you know, and, and God has that way, doesn't he? Just to sort of put it in the attic or put it down in the cellar, and you go down and bring out that peaches going, wow, look at that, 1985, I put those peaches in there and break them up, oh man, I remember those peaches. They did taste really good in 1985 or whatever it is. God, God's, God's an amazing God, and and so we're reminding what to be subject, submitted to rulers and authorities, and so again, whether it's a king or a president or a prime minister or a governor or a precept, I, I, I don't think the title is important. I think the the the, the point is, however, they got there. They're in authority over us, whether that is a school teacher or a police officer or a prime minister or or whatever that is, that we understand that there has to be a certain uh, heart's attitude towards those in authority. First, we'll look at at governmental authorities. We're going to break it sort of down But first, let's look at governmental authorities. And of course, when you're talking on this subject, Romans chapter 13. I'm really excited. We've got a few more weeks on Sunday morning, the Gospel of Mark, and then we're heading into the book of Romans. Such an important, grounding book. But Romans chapter 13 and verse 1 let every soul, how many souls? Every soul. It's always amazing how we always can make ourselves an exception to the rule. You know, and, and Saul, I think of that, King Saul, how he was an exception to the rule of submitting unto Samuel and, of course, unto God. And, and he didn't kill the Malachites as he was told to do. And, and, and then he got angry at Samuel. And, and Samuel said, hey, rebellion is the same as witchcraft. And, and again, this, this rebellious spirit is the same as idolatry. And, and he, he just pointed out, there's no thin gray line here. There, there's a clear attitude. The moment you, you, you leave from being humble and submitted, there, there's a scary place you step into. And so be submitted to those authorities. I, I think also of Satan. Here he was, the chief angel in heaven. But something came along the line where, you know, where he decided that God wasn't worthy for him to submit to. And it's hard to imagine looking at a perfect God in heaven, (laughs) no pain, no sorrow. I mean, it's just hard to imagine that everybody doesn't look on God as perfect. But yet there are people that don't look as God on perfect. And there's even people that look at God as evil. Even though he's done such a wonderful thing. Whether you look at a butterfly or the stars in heaven. And, and there's a sense that, man, all that God has done is good. But yet, there's people that, that because, again, of that lack of submitted heart, Satan's got a foothold. We know he brought one-third of the angels with him. And uh, they also did that. So, being submitted, it's, 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 a, it's a very key doctrine in the scripture And it's something we should think about and remind one another often about. But here in Romans 13, let every soul be subjected, submitted to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. We just looked at this in Mark. Remember where, um, it wasn't in the Gospel of Mark, but I referred to it, where Pilate said, hey, I've got the power to let you go or the power to crucify you. And Jesus said to Pilate, you have no power except that which is my father has given you. And so here we we understand that either God has put a person in authority or allowed a person in authority. And we see throughout the scriptures where as a punishment to an evil nation, God would allow an evil dictator to rule over them. The whole book of Judges is that, where God allowed the the Philistines or another wicked country to rule over Israel uh, as a punishment to them. And so, again, there was a sense that even though I realized God's allowed it to punish me, I still need to uh, take my licks, if you would, uh, in this season, in this time. And so, again, let everyone be submitted to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. Those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to every good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Verse 4. For he is God's minister to do for you. But if you do evil and be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for it is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject not only to because of the wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore all to their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. And so, you know, I, I think we would be foolish to say, I will submit to all Christian authorities in my life, because that's not God's standard. That there are going to be people in authority over us do not, that are not Christians. That, in some cases, may even be atheist or antichrist. But either way, our witness is going to be that of a submitted heart before them. I think of that passage again as we're going to look a minute in Wives and Husbands. But it says, Wives, in First Peter 3, If your husbands don't obey the word, you wives without a word as they observe your quiet and chaste behavior will be one. So God, in essence, says even though they're disobeying God, even though they're not submitted to God, Your submission is what's going to bring them to God. And so in essence here, even if we're in a a government that's an ungodly government, we as Christians should have an amazing witness of submission. Now, quickly, uh, what's racing through all of your thoughts are, well, hold it. Is this 100% always the case? No, it's not. The Bible is clear if man puts us in the position where God has clearly told us to obey him in a certain area and man is telling you the opposite of what God has said, only in that case, then we have to obey God rather than man. of course, that's said plainly in Acts 4, right? Where Peter and the gang are told to quit preaching the name of Jesus and Peter said, well, you know the answer. You you rabbis teach the same uh, doctrine, Am I to obey God or am I to obey man over God's law? No, I gotta obey God's law above it. And Christ told us to preach his name. So therefore, I'm gonna have to disobey you as a religious authority or a civil authority, they were both, in order for me to obey God. And we have a number of those exceptions to the scriptures. I think of the the midwives there in, in Exodus 1. When they were told to, when a, a Jewish baby was being born and it was a boy, they were to kill him. And uh, how they handled it, maybe not was perfect, but when Pharaoh called them in, they said, well, you know, the Hebrew women are so strong, the babies are born before we even get there. And, uh, which was a lie, but it says God blessed them with houses. So whether they got married and how many kids are their own, we're not sure exactly what that means, but God blessed them for obeying him and fearing him over the fear uh, of man, and over Pharaoh. And of course, uh, Daniel, we remember what he did, right? Um, when they said, no longer pray to anybody, but unto Darius as God. And Daniel did as he always did, three times a day, open his window, praying towards the east. And, and of course, the satraps caught him in the act of praying and threw him into the lion's den. Uh, he was spared, but in, in Hebrews Uh, chapter 11, it says, by faith they were saved with the sword and by faith they died with the sword. You know, by faith you have the Daniel situations where God shut the mouths of the lions, but then you have other situations where the lions ripped them to two uh, for standing as Christians. We don't know what the earthly outcome will be, but either way, there's a point where we have to say, hold it, obeying God, uh, it's very clear. Now, on another issue on that, I'd like to say, Just because a governing authority gives you permission to do something doesn't mean you have permission from God. You know, a a very clear example of that would be the Nazi government saying it's okay for you to, to abuse Jews, to even steal their businesses, steal their things. That's exactly what happened in the time of Esther, wasn't it? they had a law saying on this certain day, you can kill the Jews, steal their businesses, steal their houses. And so just because a, a government gives you permission to do something doesn't mean, well, okay, since all authorities are from God and this authority is given me that permission, I can do that. No. We still have the moral standard of God. And, and where would I use that? I'd use that in abortion. Our government in an ungodly fashion has has said that we can abort babies, but yet God's law is still clear that that's murder. Um, again, um, you know, we have this arbitrary age of eighteen, and uh, we say, "Well, at eighteen you can start drinking alcohol in many places, or uh, eighteen you no longer have to submit to your parents anymore." Again, that's that's not an age that God's given to us, and I and I've. You know, talk to teenagers. Well, I'm 18. I can tell that mom and dad. You know, take a hike. I don't have to listen. No, that's not in the Bible. Um, you know, that's. I understand the government is giving us that that age, but that's not an age that that God's necessarily honoring, saying, you know, at that point I, I can you know quit listening to my parents, live my own life. So there's many many more examples that you could come up with, but the the rule here in Romans 13 is is to realize that. The authorities are there to protect us who are living righteously, and therefore to submit to them. And God's going to test us. Okay, so there's a point where you're going to get pulled over by the police, and God's going to test our humility. He's going to test our submitted to us. So you know, I've, I've had police officers pulled me over mainly just to, to praise me on how great of a job I am driving, and uh, it's, it's, I understand that. Uh, it's not, they, they don't see such excellent driving every day. So, um, but, uh, you know, I've had some that are very, very cordial. I mean, very respectful. They're, you, you know what I'm saying? But then I've had others that are, it's like, am I on camera? Is this candy cameras? I mean, is this, is this for real? Um, this guy is just treating with absolute, horrid disrespect um, and, uh, of course, I was talking just a few weeks ago uh, to a guy that I know more in business, but it's, uh, he's a guy that uh, is almost 60 years old. And, and he was telling me stories back when he was in his teens and 20s. And, you know, he's a guy with a, a degree. He's a professional businessman. And, you know, to be pulled over uh, in some nice areas of town, and you know, have to get out and spread eagle, and 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 you know, just racism, and and just trying to imagine, you know, how degraded he would have been. And this is that this didn't happen to him once or twice. This has happened to him many times in his life, simply for being a black man in the wrong area of town. So. Um, Obviously, some people have been tested on this more than others in our society and in other societies around the world. And so when that comes, we have to, to agree, say, hold it. Um, no matter how horrible this this uh, authority is right now, God's given me uh, a higher law to recognize that this person is an authority and I need to submit and show them respect. Now we have seen in the Bible, if we do that, then God's going to take care of that authority that mis- that mistreated us. Remember the story uh, of David, and uh, and then uh, with Abigail and how mistreated she was, and God killed her husband, and David married her. You know, and in essence, I, I do believe that uh, those in authority have a, a serious responsibility. And that God will punish those who misuse uh, that authority and, uh, in a very, very serious way. And so if you have any authority, uh, I would say to you to understand that whatever authority you have, even if it's just a parent over your kids or a husband over the wife or you know, whatever small, understand Romans 13 says that's been given to you by God and you are God's minister with that power. And, uh, and we are going to be rewarded or punished by how we use that authority. And so, again, as Christian authorities, of course, we have that sense of the fear of God. We have that sense of the awe of God. But we're going to all be challenged with authorities that uh, are absolutely horrible. And, um, and at that point is where the real test comes. And as it says there in Romans 13, there is definitely going to be a blessing from God if we have that submitted authority, and we 're all going to be tested, what are we to be doing for authority we 're to be praying for them, first Timothy chapter two. therefore, I exhort first of all that serious amount of prayers, that all that supplications that 's earnest earnestly, diligently with zeal, passion, prayers, intercessions you know I, I find that. Christians, just be sensitive. Be sensitive to what's going on, what's happening in the spiritual realm. I mean, there's there's times that I'll just be driving and I'll just have a sense I need to pray for our president. I need to pray for our government. I need to pray for our uh, mayor or whatever. God will God will speak to us and we'll be sensitive to what's going on uh, to those in authority. Maybe praying for your parents, praying for your school teachers. And uh, so to be, be, have that sensitivity to realize there's a spiritual battle going on. So supplications, prayers, intercessions, the giving of thanks be made for all men. I mean, we need to be thankful. I mean, we can always criticize those in leadership. Everybody can be, do, be doing better job, right? There's nobody that, that you couldn't criticize if you don't want. But every time we want to criticize, we need to turn into prayer. And, and let me just quickly throw this in. It, it's almost like a pastime now for us to criticize our government. You know, it's almost like a multi billion dollar business. But let me tell you the way you judge is the way you're going to be judged. And I've seen it too, where you are raising your kids up to have no respect for authority indirectly. You know, I, and I, I've seen this where, you know, parents are sort of dumbfounded that their kids want nothing to do with church. But yet what happened every Sunday after church? Oh, let's talk about it. Worship, ah, C-minus, you know, friendliness, you know. How was the sermon? Oh, man, that was too long and, you know, blah, blah, And, and their kids are there soaking it up, basically saying, we criticize Christians, we criticize Sermons, we criticize the quality of, of, of church or the people or whatever. And, and, and the kids, over a period of time, indirectly have just given no more value to the things uh, of church or the pastors or whatever. And on any other level, you can do that. And we need to understand that we've got to be very, very careful to have that critical, fault finding spirit. And I, I just say that because we can see that a little easier, I think, on that, on that level. But again, with our government, there are a lot of things to be thankful for in our government. And uh, no matter how bad the president is, and it seems like there's always uh, the majority of the people think the president's bad, doesn't matter who the president is, you know, we, we can always uh, find more to criticize about him than we can good. And uh, again, I, I think we just need to give thanks. We need to be thankful for what we have and and uh, you know obviously um, as a parent you know how that feels you know you always feel like you're failing as a parent and um, again you you could your kids could find out things and criticize you about it and they'd be right you hate those things in yourself But if they would step back and just say, you know what, I'm not going to criticize my parents. I'm going to tell my parents what I'm thankful about. You know, maybe it's, I'm just thankful you don't come home drunk every night, only six nights out of the week. I don't know. Which, you know, sometimes it's it's pretty hard, but to be thankful for what they have done and who they are. And and then, of course, take that right on up the level. Being thankful for your spouse, being thankful for, for what teachers or police officers or mayors are to have a a thankful spirit. And and I understand, I'm not saying to be blindly loyal. I'm not saying to not point out things that are wrong or should be better or different. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you you gotta realize there's a point where your criticism, fault-finding, criticalness, it's, it's no longer showing respect. It's no longer being submissive. And uh, again, I, where that line is, I, I really don't know. But uh, I, I do know that we can poison our own wells, whether it's towards the church, whether it's towards the school system, whether it's towards our government. We need to be ever so careful. And then in particular, he's telling us to be thankful for all men, our neighbors and, and uh, all those in authority, and then for the kings, for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And this is a theme that throughout, That if you don't have a humble, submitted spirit, you will not be that of a quiet, humble, peaceful spirit. It, the one cannot exist without the other. As we look at this tonight, if you are not a submitted person, you are not a godly person. You'll find that the attributes of of a godliness, a quietness, a peacefulness, a reverence, a dignity, it's hinged um, to this area of submission. And then it goes on to say, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And so um, prayer, you know, i I just so important. I, I remember years ago, uh, reading a book on, on Billy Graham and his first ministry and, and uh, they were just, the whole church was complaining about him and, and he finally came to the place and said guys you just got to pray for me and just the light turned on and they began to pray for him and God began to bless Billy's ministry and bless the church and uh, you know the rest of the story but uh, how many great men are great men because they had wives praying for them And they were a positive force in their life. They were thankful for the areas of their husband that wasn't completely messed up. You know, behind every great man is a great woman, right? In the same way, behind every great church, I guarantee we get to heaven, you're going to find a core of people that was praying for that church and the leadership of that church. And you can go right on up to the school system, to the local government, you know, and, and if... If we had all the talk show hosts every single day spending you know even an eighth of the time they are complaining about our government praying for our government, I think we 'd be quite a bit farther ahead in where we 're at today and uh, so again, we need to recognize those in authority over us and be in prayer for them in first uh, Peter chapter two, verse thirteen through fourteen, and then verse seventeen. It says, therefore, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for what? the Lord's sake. To understand, I'm doing this for God. (laughs) I'm doing this because he asked me to. I hate every inch of it. I hate every bit of it. I I feel that way every time I do my taxes. You, You know what? I hate paying my taxes, but I hate even more having to figure out how to pay my taxes. You know, it's always just this it's like having to do a term paper with no resources you know and it's like well if I could go to the library and get the book but it's always like ah such a stress Um, and and then it's like oh finally I got the magic number to pay or whatever but it's like just the stress of getting there uh, I would have rather paid more taxes and less stress but uh, for the Lord's sake here I am complaining I just said don't complain and I'm complaining see I told you I don't know where that line is Whether the king as supreme, so a dictator of dictators, or to governors, people under that dictator, as those who sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood, Christianity, believers, fear God, and honor the king. And you know, I to just stop and just really sincerely ask yourself, am I honoring all men? Am I honoring men? You know, I I never liked to shop the day before Thanksgiving, but my wife didn't have something. I had to go to the grocery store. Uh, I went there, and it was worse than I had imagined. And everybody, you know, whether they're just picking up one little thing, they had a cart. And down every aisle, I mean, you could, it took like literally 10 minutes just to push the thing down the cart. And people were running into each other and, and mad at each other. And on, on the particular aisle I was on, there was a little old lady and, she, you know, there was a, a, a box of Cokes in the aisle and she couldn't get around it. Nobody would let her get around. And she was stuck and stuck. And I was just like... There's just no honor. And then, of course, when it came time to check out, people were cutting each other off and yelling at each other. And I was just like, you know, there just needs to be a sense of honoring people here. And, of course, I think of Joseph, the guy with the coat of many colors. You know, there, he honored his dad. His dad saw that he was raised up in authority. They sold him into slavery. And in Egypt, there was an honor about him whether it was to uh, Potiphar or his wife or the fellow slaves. He ended up getting thrown into prison as a rapist. There he honored the fellow prisoners, ended up being raised up as a top prisoner. There was an honor of people, honor of those in authority, honor uh, when his brothers, he finally found out his brothers came and didn't recognize him. He still honored them. He didn't take vengeance on them. And... um, I think of, of, of Mary and Joseph, again, you know, having to go to Bethlehem. What a stress that was, Or being so pregnant. Of course, we know this is all a part um, of the sovereign plan of God. Joseph had to be a submitted person in order to experience all that God had for him. Joseph and Mary had to be submitted people to fulfill prophecy, Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And so there there has to be a sense that God has told us that who's ever in authority, it's a part of the sovereign work of God. And there needs to be a sense of that in the calculation of it. And we're going to have authorities in our life that are inadequate, that are ungodly, that shouldn't be there, should be better than they are, smarter than they are, better communicators than they are, more diligent than they are, whatever it is. Um. We, we need to stop and realize and just ask ourselves: do I want to be judged that way? The way you judge is the way you're going to be judged, especially in this authority business. I guarantee you that if you're judging those in authority over you, the way you're judging them, God's going to have those under authority judging you in the same way. And I have seen that repeated consistently in my lifetime. And uh, so before you gripe and complain and, and those in authority realize it's going to come back around to you, those in authority. And sometimes I think those in authority have no idea what they're doing. It's like God has uh, sovereignly, you know, put a spur on their side just to give you the grief you were given those above you. And uh, we really just need to to take recognition of that and understand that that uh, it's all a part of God's sovereign plan that is fulfilled uh, in this area of submission. And so then there's a submission to the governmental authority. Second, we'll look at a submission to the church and those uh, in the church. And there's several verses on this. I'm just going to look at one. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. And I can say so confidently and so clearly from, from where I live, <laughs> from my point of view as a pastor and been there for 25 years, I've seen people that, that have come into the church and maybe there a few months, maybe a few years, maybe several years, but they come to that point where they're at unrest or they're just wanting more or different and and there are times that it is God's will for them to go and be a blessing at another church or to to be in another fellowship I'm not saying people come here they're supposed to be here forever but I've seen on many occasions where people just become critical and fault finding and then they're you know they can't worship they can't hear the word they're they're not a part of uh, home bible studies or ministries anymore and they and it's just a lack of submission. I'm just, I just, you can't do anything about it. You just watch and and wait, and they are just closing themselves off. And then they start going to this church or that church, and and they come around to the same place. Even though it's five years later, they're not at that place of growth uh, that they could have been had they had that submitted heart, saying, "Okay, God, you have me here." And I and I've seen it also at the, the pastor level, where I've seen churches get unhappy with the Calvary Chapel movement. And uh, for whatever reason, they break off. And and uh, honestly, when I hear their complaints, I, I don't disagree with them. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, I see all of that too. But you know what? Until God makes it 100 million percent clear we're not to be a part of the Calvary Chapel movement, this is our family. And th- with the family, you know, uh, you got a lot of bad and a lot of good. I mean, you, you've got the mixed bag, don't you? You got the crazy uncle and the, uh, the weirdo cousin, and um, you know, you got the ex con and the, the drunkard, and you know, you, you've got them all, and it's your family. And in the same way, in the body of Christ, you, you, you've got people that uh, are just bizarre. And you're just like, thank God they're saved because they would really be bizarre if they were Christians. They're as bizarre as Christians. Um, and then, of course, I've seen in particular where home Bible study leaders, for example, God will bring every misfit that gets saved in their area to their fellowship. And they're there, and it's like every week, you know, they have it in their house. Things are getting broken and getting calls at 3 o'clock in the morning. Everybody's out of work. Everybody needs money. Everybody needs medicine. Every, you know, And, and the guy's just there going, can't I get one doctor to come to my fellowship or one lawyer or, you know, anybody with just a high school education, you know? Um, and you go through those times, and you just sit there watching them until they finally just break and just say, you know what? I'm willing to wash feet no matter who that is. And they go through those seasons. And I'm just, I'm simply saying that you are going to go through many seasons as a Christian. And some of those are going to take you into some very deep valleys with the body of Christ. In other words, you you wouldn't be miserable if it wasn't for the Christians around you, they're making you miserable. And I understand that. That's the way family is sometimes, right? I mean, that's how people justify divorcing. I'd be happier if I wasn't married. And it's true. 99% of your stress right now is your marriage. But you know what? It doesn't mean that God's saying divorce the person. Um, And you'll get that that way with, with many areas of your life. But in the church, there are those seasons you go through and you can jump ship and go to a different church. You're gonna come to that place there too. Um, I've seen people, again, it's, you know, San Diego. I just got to get out of San Diego. Boom, you know. Uh, it seems more than ever it's Oregon or Washington here in our church. I don't know why. But, you know, they get there, and, you know, the grass is greener across the state line, and, and, uh, and, and they, they, they end up at the same place in their life. A few months, a few years, years later, and they they, they realized, you know, it wasn't a new location geographically. It wasn't a different marriage. It wasn't a different job. It wasn't a different church. You know, it was simply a season that I had to go through for God to bring me to the place uh, that he could really do what he wanted to do in my life. And I, and I do think just like Esther, when she said, you know, what if I don't want to go to the king? And and stand up for the Jews. And and Mordecai said, you know what? God will raise up somebody else in your place. But you will be permanently in a place of having been missed out on what God had for your life. And uh, God's a gentle God. He's a meat God, and he will let you have your way. Just like the children of Israel. It says they got their meat, but a leanness was in their soul. And uh, I would just... You know, I don't know how to explain it better than this. Okay, but I'm just telling you for a matter of fact, um, before you say it's a new job or a new location or a new church, you know what? Don't make 100% sure. Make 1 billion percent sure. It is God saying that to you. Because again, we, we can always get happy feet, you know. Woohoo, starting a new job, it's always exciting. Moving into a new house is always exciting. Moving to a new location, you know, there's always the honeymoon. There's always a honeymoon, period, and it feels like everything's better. But um the real satisfaction, the real growth is being in the marriage for fifty years. Is being faithful even when everybody's being unthankful. You know? And uh and, and here again, it's, it's a point that I think can go across the, the board in many ways. It says, they're watching out for your souls, so let them do it with joy and not with grief. That's unprofitable to you. And you know, that, that really, I've just seen that again in marriage. You know, if you just submit to one another, you could, you're gonna care for one another, or children to their parents. I mean, there's many areas that works. Here he points it out in the church. And, and you know, I, I know there's a lot of, there are bad people in the world, and some of them are pastors. I know that, but most people that are doctors really do want you to get better. <laughs> you know uh, most car mechanics really do want to fix your car, you know and and most pastors really do want to see you grow in the Lord and be stronger in the Lord, and they can't live with themselves if that's not happening. they They really do. Uh, want to have the best church, the best sermons, the best things for your kids. And uh, so again, pray for the church, pray for the leaders of the church, pray that that God would continue to raise up our sphere, some over tens, some over hundreds, some over thousands, whatever God's sphere is for us, that God would complete uh, that that work in us. And then the next thing I wanna look at here quickly as we're gonna end tonight is submission to one another, Jesus showed us that to wash one another's feet. We see that in the heart of Jesus. In Philippians 2, verse 3 Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And you know, let me just tell you something this is a place of maturity where you have relationships, not because they benefit you, but because they benefit the other person. That I'm um, a part of that home Bible study, not because it blessed me, but because I'm blessing others. I have this relationship with this person and it just worked for me. <laughs> every time they call, or every time they wanna to get together, it's just like, oh, you know, but I know it causes them to grow. And I've noticed that through the years, most of my relationships don't benefit me. They benefit others. But that's okay. That's what Jesus said. I did not come to be served, but to serve. And I've seen people that they think they're mature in the Lord, but they're really not. Because most of what they're doing is is they have some kind of blessing in return for them. And that's why they're doing what they're doing. But there comes a place as a parent that it's really not benefit you raising this kid, but you're raising them because it's for them. I'm I'm doing what I do to be the best spouse I can because it's benefiting my wife. And the same in the body of Christ, the same with friendship. I have these friends, uh, not because I... I'm blessed by the friendship because actually they drain me or they cost me money or they cost me time or they give me a headache or, um, you know, they make me feel like a fool because they're so foolish. After I'm around them, I feel foolish. Um, you know, I, I get to hear their dirt and their garbage and their criticism and and, and it's sort of a, a load I have to carry. Got to go home and scrub myself clean in my mind or my attitudes from it. But you know what? Man, just think of Jesus coming in human flesh. <laughs> Imagine being in glory and then coming and being around, even if he was around the wisest man that ever lived on the planet. Uh, there's no way it was a step up for him. In the same way with us, let this mind be in you that we're 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 humbling people, we're seeing everybody as better than ourselves. And we're looking out, not for our own interest, but the interest of others. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, the first part of that verse, yes, all of you be submissive to one another, clothed with humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so again, there just has to be that submission to one another and clothing with humility. And... Uh, probably one of the best books to really shine the light on where you're at. Um, it's a story about David and Solomon and Jonathan, or Absalom, and it's called The Tell of Three Kings. You guys ever read that book? It's a little tiny book, but it, it just really gets you with the wall up. But it, it, it basically is showing David's attitude to Saul. Saul is throwing spears and David doesn't pick up the spears and throw them back. It seems like God gives David the opportunity to kill Saul in more than one place, and David says no. And then to see David's attitude towards his son Absalom, who tries to overthrow his kingdom. And in each of those cases, you you have to put yourself in the place of Am I a Saul? Am I a David? And am I an Absalom? And I think there's probably areas of your life that you're all three, but how we need to have that repentance and and realize um, that we really need to not be reactionary to other relationships, but to really get the mind of the Lord and act the way God wants us to act. Well, um, to our spouse, I'm not gonna look at the verses on this, but it says in Ephesians 5, to submit one to another in the fear of God. In particular, wives submit to their husbands as to the Lord and everything. Children are to submit to their parents. But I do want to look at this passage that that it is seriously demonic when we don't have the heart of submission. In James chapter three, turn there in your Bibles if you would. James chapter three, verse thirteen. Who is wise and understanding among you? <laughs> so who is the real wise guy? You know, we, I think a lot of times people think they're so smart. They realize later, I was so stupid. Um, how, how do you, what's the litmus test to really know if you're really wise and, and full of practical wisdom? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is where you have power and you're not using that power but yet you're remaining humble and a servant even though you don't have to serve, even though you don't have to be humble. And in verse 14, but if you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts, my concentration is what's best for me, do not boast and lie against the truth. Let the mirror be revealed. I'm a selfish, self-centered person. Now verse 15, this wisdom does not descend from above but as earthly at best, sensual, and demonic. For where envy, self-seeking exist, confusion, and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is above is first pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. These are the three most important words in this section. Willing to yield. A willingness, not to push your own agenda, to push your own interests, to push your own desires, but to say, you know what? I'm, I'm willing to yield. And, and you'll find out in a lot of relationships, you really did have the best idea. Your way really was the will of the Lord more than the other way. But yet, as you have this willingness to yield, God's able to honor that. And of course, and, and again, First Peter 3, God gives us the example of Sarah. And how Abraham was wrong <laughs> in what he was doing. Sarah, say you're my sister, and he gets himself in trouble with Pharaoh. Remember that he's trying to take her into the harem, but God protected Sarah. And so, in essence, even though Sarah was right, she was willing to yield, and God is the one who protected Sarah. And that's the the, the really the 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 moral of that story with Sarah, and then later with Abimelech and and. Abimelech rebukes Abraham the righteous man you are not righteous with me I didn't lie to you you're a liar and and you cause our whole nation not to be able to have babies because uh, I was pursuing your sister which is completely morally okay but she was your wife you lied to me and, and God used Abimelech this wicked king to rebuke his own chosen righteous man Abraham and so again a lot of times we're right but yet it's more right of you in conduct to submit. And then again, full of mercy. So much to say about that. Good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so again, rebellion is as witchcraft. Stubbornness is as idolatry, it says in First Samuel 15. And here it says that 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 wisdom that is not humble, that is not submitted, it's earthly, sensual, demonic. And then on the other hand, that submitted, willing to yield heart, it's of God and it's gonna bear good fruit to be peaceful and live a quiet life. And the last part of Titus here is then we are ready for every good work with that humble spirit, that submitted spirit. We are prepared for God to use us when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he's able to lift us up in due season, right? Well, Lord, we thank you again. For many of us, this is a reminder, just as Paul said, by way of reminder. For some of us, it really is turning on the light for the first time. And then for others, it's just a a healing reminder of conviction, of rebuke. To say, man, I, I need to really pray more, commit more, Be submitted more. Lord, let your word now wash us and cleanse us. We know that even tonight is a sovereign work of your spirit to bring us here to this time to hear your voice. Give us ears to hear as you continue to keep on speaking to us on this issue. And we thank you again. And just, there's a great conviction. Some of you are here tonight and there's just a heavy hand of God upon you. It's not just, oh yeah, I'm off a little bit. There's just a a heavy sense of, man, I really, in my pride and my heart, have really been missing the mark. And I'm just so overly convicted and burdened right now by this message. You know, God doesn't want you to carry that burden out here. The Bible says, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. Just repent. Lord, forgive me for that attitude towards, what is it? Your spouse? your parents, your boss, the government, the church, whatever it is, just God, forgive me. I'm gonna stop this critical, fault-finding spirit, this self-centered spirit that says, how is it benefiting me, blessing me? And Lord, I I just submit to you to begin to pray for those irritants in my life, to pray for those in authority in my life that are not where I think they need to be. Help them, Lord. Help my husband, help my wife, help my church, help my government. Lord, please, Lord, we know that you hear and answer prayer and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. We confess our sin. Forgive us of that sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And prepare us now, Lord, for every good work. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said... Amen, amen, amen. Pray for one another. If you're burdened by this or something's on your heart, just say to the guy next to you, hey, this is my name and pray with me. Let You go ahead and pray and let him agree with you in prayer. Of course, you can come forward and get prayer, but before you leave, give at least three giant bear hugs and say, submit one to another in the fear of God. Okay? There you go. Submit. Submit to me saying to you to tell one another to submit. It's a test. God bless you. Bye-bye.